It's Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix, where the water's always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. It's Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. This is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Hi, Rachel and everybody. Welcome to Steady State Podcast. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Patricia Carswell, Girl on the River. If you missed it or any of our other episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to Steady State Podcast on Podbean and Apple iTunes. Yeah, it's been a few weeks since we hosted our first awesome inclusive coaching summit. And we hope everybody who attended is hard at work with what they learned about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and are actively building a better inclusive rowing community. If you missed our Inclusive Coaching Toolkit virtual summit uh, on October 3rd, you can still access video and materials from all four of our sessions. That's nearly four hours of conversation plus bonus content. Join us on Patreon for as little as $5 per month for complete access. Just visit us at patreon.com slash steadystatenetwork. And up next, I'm really excited about this. Uh, Two worlds are merging. I'm uh, the founder of the Seize the Oar Foundation, and we uh, premiered these amazing para-rowing global meetups this year, and Steady State Network is going to co-host the next para-rowing global meetup on December 15th, and it's for para-rowers, coaches, and fans around the world, so stay tuned for more of that. And today on the podcast, we are super excited to talk to rowers Jason Oliver and Kevin Guayana, both are master's rowers at Mount Baker Rowing Center in Seattle, Washington. Kevin is the founder also of iCrew, a team management system designed and built by rowers for rowers. Hey, Jason and Kevin, hello. 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 We're so glad to have you here today. Thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us. Thank you for having us. Uh, Looking forward to it. Yes, very much so. Hey, I'm Jason Oliver. I live in Seattle, Washington, and I roll at Mount Baker Boathouse. Hey, I'm Kevin Goyena. I live in Seattle, uh, and I row out of Mount Baker Boathouse right here on Lake Washington. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, I know Tara knows you a bit, and I have a lot to learn about you. So um, I know that you both got uh, into rowing a little, a little later in life and uh, took a Learn to Row class, I think, in 2015. How did you find out about rowing where you lived and what motivated you to sign up for Learn to Row? I'll go ahead and take this first because I think he has a different version. <laughs> it's a little controversial who found out first. But um, so we uh, bought a house about a mile away from the boathouse that we currently row at. And, you know, the boathouse meant nothing at the time. We just drove past it all the time. Now, I in particular, uh, had been very sort of uh, fitness, uh, I guess, driven. I taught spin class, done running, all that type of stuff, cycling. And so, you know, when you drive past on a beautiful spring day in Seattle, you see these folks out here on the water rowing. And, you know, you see that and you go, wow, that would be cool, right? I'm already running and riding my bike and whatnot. So, one day I was like, you know, we should do it, you know, not knowing what goes into it because it looks so easy. So I get home and Kevin's home and I'm like, oh, hey, I saw some rowers out there. We should just go row. Like you can just walk down there and row, right? So that's my version of the story that I saw it first, but I don't know, Kevin, you might want to share yours. Yeah, Kevin, what's your side? Yeah, I I think that's pretty right on. I don't know. I don't really remember who brought it up first. I just do remember driving by the water, seeing people rowing, and the conversation came up. So we did look into it, got online, and found out Mount Baker was offering a learn-to-row class. And so, yeah, we went. That was 2015. And our learn-to-row instructor was Coach Tara. First, first time we met her. Yeah, it was yes. great. Hi. Yeah, and at that time, too, it was interesting. We had not read Boys in the Boat because we weren't really into rowing. We didn't even, had never heard of the book. And Coach T mentioned it during her her intro. 
And so we immediately, of course, got the book and read it, and that helped hook us. Well, and I remember um, at that time, I think uh, in my Learn to Row curriculum at Mount Baker uh, Rowing Center, um, part of the day started at, you know, 530 in the morning with a three-minute plank, and I would read passages from Boys in the Boat to y'all, and yeah. you know, to get you inspired and get you hooked and yeah. read those amazing quotes from Mr. Pocock himself. And I just remember, um, yeah, sharing the gospel of, of the uh, boys in the boat for sure. And I was so lucky to be your learn to row coach and y'all just took to rowing like ducks to water. And I just want to ask you, it's been five years now, right? And what do you remember about those early days getting in a boat? Jason, you said it, it looked like it could be fun, but you didn't realize what was going into it. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. It's not just completely ridiculously hard, but it's so misleading when you see people on the water. Right. And you know, listen, I have played college football. I'm pretty dang athletic. I like to pride myself and, you know, brag a little bit, be a little bit cocky about everything I do because my entire life I've taken to anything athletic. So of course we get down there and the first thing you see are rowing machines. Okay. Now for those listeners out there, rowing machines are not boats. <laughs> okay, so it's great that they're there, but you're there to get on the water. And so um, I guess the, the, the first sobering thing was the fact that even getting on a rowing machine, thinking you know that, because most people say, oh man, what a great upper body workout. Like you literally think you know, and you get there, everything you thought you knew, you didn't know. <laughs> Yes, and I and I think I try to I always try in my coaching style to minimize the shaming that goes with that. <laughs> because you guys, you know, you walked into the boathouse and I remember this is what happens and Rachel can relate. She's taught Learn to Row before and been around Learn to Row. When you see two healthy, young, athletic people show up, the first thing you think is, yay, like <laughs> fantastic, right? And they're a couple and they're just enjoying life. But that be, oh, this is going to be tough for them. This is, this is going to be tough. The more athletic and coordinated people are, the harder. <laughs> but do you remember getting, Kevin, do you remember you guys getting into a boat for the first time and trying it and being in an eight? Yeah, the, um, you know, the erg is one thing. And we kind of figured out that routine and that technique. And then getting on the water just like not being together with everybody and just everybody's all over the place and now coordinating, you know, of course we rode on the square to begin with, but um, that was still all new and the body movement on in the boat on the water, so different. And um, I, I know I did get hooked pretty quick. I think Jason will attest to that too. I, uh, I think he'll tell you I got hooked into it more so than he did right off and it was just, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and thought this is a great way. And then, of course, going first competition we had that that rookie year, we were in the Masters. That was competition really, really got me uh, totally hooked. Yeah. Kevin, do you know what it was that hooked you? Was it um, working with your teammates in the boat? Was it the sound of the water? You know, like what was it? It's different for everyone. Yeah, um, so we raced a novice um, four and a novice eight at, uh, 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 no, it was, I think it was up at um, Lake Stevens. I remember being in the novice boats with our couple other guys that rode with us. Uh, and we, we did win one of those races and just the feeling of taking a boat out and, and winning. And that was, that was great. And the competition, I got to say, with this pandemic that's been going on, what I miss most is certainly being with our friends at the boathouse and competing and, and working uh, towards competition. That's, that's what I definitely miss the most. So, you know, I played tennis in high school and fairly athletic in other sports, but tennis was my thing, but I just have always enjoyed competition. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, the competitive part of it, that was it. He's also very modest because he's really athletic as well. And I actually have to credit Kevin for us actually rowing because um, it was okay to me. Like when I started, <laughs> it's I was right. like, 
Yeah. Okay, like I'm I'm cool with that because it's a workout, you know. But one thing I'll say is it is a fantastic thing to do as a couple. Um, because there are early mornings, every morning. I can't imagine being with someone who didn't want to get up and go, right? Because then here's here you are getting up and they're just sleeping, and that's tough, especially in the spring when it's dark in the morning and all that stuff, right? And so um, you know, the fact that Kevin really took to it. That really sort of helped me go, okay, this is something that we can do together. And uh, I, did, I did like it, don't get me wrong, but I mean, Kevin was bitten by the rowing bug. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hook, I, line, and sinker. Yeah. I, do, I do remember that. I do remember, uh, Jason, you being a little slower on the update because, <laughs> it, you know, it is hard and, and you wanted to find your place. You know, you need to yeah. figure out where your strengths are. And I know, I know I've coached a lot of Learn to Row. And, and I think that's a big journey for people is like, what's my place? Am I a stroke? Am I a sweeper? Am I a, and who are my buddies? Who are my peers? And then, of course, becoming a member of a community is a whole journey in and of itself. And I'm wondering how you guys were just open to meeting new people and making new friends. Obviously, you'd move to a new neighborhood. But was that a factor, too, to just establish yourselves in that neighborhood? Yeah, uh, the, the boathouse, I, I remember moving up from our Learn to Row class. And the first morning we went to the boathouse, we were with, I don't know, 40 other adult people. It was a little awkward to be in this new group. We knew our learn to row buddies really well, but um, I would say Jason and I are both pretty social and can get to know people pretty quickly. And um, we enjoy being around other folks. So it was pretty easy to just get into the groove there. And the Baker folks, I mean, Coach T knows, that they're just really great people there. They're all very welcoming. Um, yeah, they you know, they welcomed us with open arms and we got right into it. I felt pretty comfortable right away. And um, yeah, we just started making friends and started rowing. And of course, I we were always wanting to get in a better boat right away. <laughs> yeah. Terrible to say, but you know, you, you, you kind of feel like, hey, you kind of get, got this. So you want to be in a boat with better rowers right off. And it's really, it took time to just kind of get past that. And finally start getting in better boats. So I have a question because I know one thing that can be a hang up for newer rowers when they move from let's say a learn to row program into a novice program or from a novice program into a master's program is that all of a sudden practices are in the morning. Oh, but did you say that your learn to row was in the morning? So oh, that yeah. wasn't a transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 530. Yeah. And so that can be a real hang up for new rowers, that commitment. And so I guess what I'm wondering is if you kind of got in there and said, okay, this is something we want to do and I don't mind the five. 30 a.m. practice time slot is that because you were already used to being up in the morning and doing athletic related things uh, training well well I am uh, naturally a morning person yes I'm one of those annoying people right I literally wake up happy with an adrenaline rush yeah right? so, so oh. was I and you were such a <laughs> here, here he comes he is not my no. <laughs> yeah. So I taught morning spin class at LA Fitness. So I was already getting up. Yeah. Um, but it's it is very different because were we doing three days a week at that point? I mean it was just, just two was just Saturdays. Two. Yeah. Um and so well it wasn't that part wasn't difficult because there's two of us, but you want to know what's difficult? We still get up at 4 30 now. Still. Yeah. It yeah. is I mean, it's just at we're in bed by nine. For no reason. Yeah, and I tell people, one of the things that, that, you know, I know that there's this whole notion that there are, people say they're not morning people. Listen, you are whatever you develop yourself to be. If you join the military, you can't go to them and say, I'm just not a morning person, right? And that's one thing I think you learn. But you also learn, and I learned it a while ago, and that is, there's nothing like getting up and getting your workout in. And getting back to the community at Baker, and listen, I'm sure that there are a lot of really good rowing communities, but the fact that Baker actually had a learn to row component that you would then graduate into now rowing with the more experienced rowers, in that process, not only do you develop relationship, but you also quickly find out that, listen, once you start to get to around middle age, it's really difficult to find a critical mass of people that are committed to this type of fitness. 
right? So that was, I think, one of the things that we didn't expect that we not only relish, but we, we think about it often, you know, during the pandemic. There's a lot of elements to rowing. I think people don't count on and, and being motivated as a pod, as a group, mm-hmm. um, towards the same goal or the same, you know, rah-rah type of mentality and the team colors and the cheers and stuff like that. Like you don't expect this sort of singular focus with everyone. And that really comes from having a good coach and having a good program. And I think Baker has done, you know, most boathouses have lots of coach transitions and you've seen a ton of coaches come through, but you know, the key players, you know, you, there's a lot of great personalities at that boathouse. And I think at any boathouse that keep that are like the gel, you know, that keep everything uh, rolling through. So you don't have these awkward transitions and but you also took people out into your fitness world. Like, how did you incorporate, like you t- have incorporated people into your, your cycling and, and a lot of, I, mean, we, I see your Strava reports. We're lucky to live in Seattle. And I know we're going to have listeners all over the world. If you've never been to Seattle, you should really, you know, stop listening to people that tell you it just rains all the time and really come out here. It's one of the best kept secrets in the country. But uh, Seattle really has invested in, Um, creating a city that is so, um, I guess, it's so adaptable in terms of doing things outdoors. And they've really invested into their cycling infrastructure. Um, Hiking is right there at your fingertips. And so quite naturally, if you're with these group of people every morning, right, and two days a week turns into three days a week, next thing you know, it's five days a week, it's really easy to go, hey guys, you know, after practice on such and such day, how would you guys like to do a hike? Or how would you like to do yoga right in front of the lake? Or hey, how would you like to go on bike rides somewhere? And so you start to build this fitness community that uh, actually grows beyond Rome. It was, it's another one of those advantages of um, sort of investing in rowing, investing in a lifestyle that's going to be renewable in terms of what it's doing for your health, but also what it's doing for your social life. Yeah, and I want to say, too, um, one thing Jason did that I think a lot of people have benefited from, he brought a nutrition discussion to our boathouse. So, you know, we're, we're all pretty much, I'd say, middle-aged rowers. And um, with that comes what is typical of middle age, and that is just what happens with your body because you're just getting older. And, of course, we are an active group, but um, Jason brought a component in where he was doing um, a couple times a month would would do nutrition discussions after rowing, really trying to get folk, people to focus on what they are eating. Uh, you know, they work out really hard and then go uh, to the local restaurant and have this amazing, you know, pancake breakfast. And he brought the, the thought about, hey, what food are you bringing into your body and how that really impacts? Um, it's a really fun thing when rowers bring their skills. And I really love that about you guys because I, I would watch you take what you were really passionate about. Cause sometimes people feel pretty kind of shy. Like they leave that on the dock or they leave that in the car or they leave that at home. And then you find out later that they're like a nutrition expert or they're a personal <laughs> trainer or they're a, you know, they ran five marathons and you guys just put everything out there. You're like, here's what I'm passionate about. And I think Jason, your excitement about these things um, just really drove that group and accelerated them into this really more advanced thinking about their bodies and about their team and about community. Because I had never seen that kind of energy at Mount Baker. It had been like, okay, let's row. And maybe three or four people go out for coffee after and have a pastry. And maybe there's an annual banquet and you know that kind of thing. But it really... I would see these seminars happening after Learn to Row and I'm like pushing my Learn to Row students. I'm like, go, you know, go, Mm -hmm. go check this out. This is what you're going to graduate into. I think that sounds, I think that sounds amazing. Uh, I haven't really been aware of such a robust uh, discussion from especially younger, newer rowers. Uh, Oftentimes it's like we already said, you know, you come in, you do your learn to row, you decide whether or not you even like this sport, right? Enough to want to stick with it and go to practices in the morning. Um, And Tara and I have talked about this uh, a fair amount. Like I'm, I'm really interested in this notion of what brings people, um, 
farther into it, right? Uh, and gets them talking about nutrition, gets them talking about what else they can be doing for themselves. Jason said, it's a lifestyle, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and our, our significant others and friends who don't row call are, are called the widows, right? Like they don't, <laughs> they don't, we've got lots of rowing widows out in the world. You know, Rachel has one, uh, her husband who, who withstands going to regattas and, and endless chatter about Rowing is part of why we started Steady State Network because two, the two of us can just talk about this all day, like all day. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right, yeah. So um, actually I had a question. So again, like the things that I know about you, I've, I've learned from Tara, but from what I understand, Jason, is that you have a pretty big family. And I was wondering, we're wondering what your family thinks of rowing and your involvement with it. Actually, it's Kevin with a big family. <laughs> oh, Yes. Your stories are oh. really big, Jason. My stories are big. My personality is big, but that's Kevin. Do tell, Kevin. Do tell. Well, I mean, fa big family. Um, I was married, and I have three grown children. I am uh, one of four children uh, myself, so I have three sisters. They don't all live anywhere nearby. They they all see that I'm very much into rowing, and I think are happy to see that I'm, uh, you know, middle aged but fit person. Uh, my children have been super supportive. Um, I, I think my middle daughter would have made a great coxswain had she knew the, known the sport when she was in high school because oh, she's, sure. you know, uh, sure. smaller in statue, stature and really kind of fiery and a big voice. But anyway, they're, they're very supportive. They show up uh, at the Montlake Cut if we're racing through the cut, you know, um, here in Seattle. Uh, so it's, it's great to have them just be super supportive and, and show up and root us on. Yeah, and um, your daughter, you know, it's never too late to get involved. I know. <laughs> I know. I thought about it. She just doesn't live close enough. I think yeah. it'd be a stretch for her. Yeah, that's one of the things. We have one mile from the boathouse, so that it's just so convenient. Um, my fa I do have a family. It's just I don't have children. So uh, my family is very supportive, too. But I come from an athletic family. Now, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, so we didn't even know what rowing was. Okay? So... So when you when you say rowing, people confuse it with kayaking or canoeing. That they, they don't. They're just like what until you send them videos and you go. They go, oh, that because most people have actually seen some sort of rowing before, whether it be in the Olympics or something, right? But if you don't live in an area that has really embraced it, uh, and it's particularly if you don't live in bodies of water where they'll be doing that then you just, you really have no idea. Um, I wanted to riff off what, something you just said, Jason, videos. Okay. okay, let's talk about Jason Oliver videos because I showed Rachel the one of you sitting, I think in the bow seat at the start line of Windermere <laughs> Cup, because I recognize the water. Windermere Cup, for those listening, is the signature event in the Pacific Northwest. It's been going on for 30 years, I think, and, and you always have a GoPro or you always have a camera with you and yes. you make these amazing montage videos of these regattas. I remember seeing the first one and being like, what a contribution. I mean, oh. no one has documented. There have been these terrible, sweaty, gross pictures <laughs> of masters with their medals, but this is this like joyful thing. What inspired you to start making these videos? Well, you know, a regatta takes all day, and when you've invested in a bunch of these and you have friends that aren't rowers, it's really hard to explain the experience. And so, no, I wanted to bring people with, right? And I think that the, I think more people should do it because rowing is a fantastic sport that there aren't enough people who actually know about. Because if they knew it and you could take them on the journey with you, I mean, from the time you arrive with your car to loading and unloading boats, um, carrying the boat down to the water, getting off the dock, start line, you know, and thank God we have the technology. I mean, I love GoPros, but what I would really like is for the technologies from drones to be such that I could control it while I was rowing. Now, that would be really nice, right? Uh, but, but I think, like, for example, Head of the Charles, that is such a fantastic, huge event but most people, you just kind of go to it and come back. Well, what did you do? Head of the charts. Here's my little iPhone still shot. And that's it. I mean, 
just think about all the different teams from all across the country, all the booths that are set up, all the different boat houses that are right around there. I mean, there's just so much to it. So um, I think that it started off, I didn't know what I was doing, like most people, right? Um, and then after a while, you get better, get better, better at editing. Uh, and then, yeah, when I get the feedback I get from you, it just makes me want to do even more. So, yeah, that's how I got started. And he got a drone, too. And that drone makes all the difference. Like, he got some amazing footage. I was in a men's Masters 4 for Head of the Lake. That's our big head race last, gosh, it was almost a year ago, last November. He has footage of us in the cut heading east. And that drone comes right down out of the air and follows us along and then like backs up and it, it's just some amazing okay, footage. Okay. So I remember the drone because I was stroke seat. I remember, oh God, there's Jason. The <laughs> Smile. Yeah, do you, do you, it, it especially comes into play if you have a terrible race face. Like I have a really bad race face. That's yeah. why I always wear sunglasses because my eyes get popped out when I race. <laughs> Well, for those of you listening and interested in seeing some of Jason's videos, uh, we're going to be posting some links to those in the show notes, and maybe it'll inspire you to do your own montages, and it'll at least be a fun look back uh, at some races that we've all loved, you know, RIP every regatta in 2020. But one thing I do want to hit on, because we can't get, get off here without talking about it, and that's how brilliant my husband is in creating iCrew. Okay, no, that's coming. We're, we're going to talk okay, about it. Okay. 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 We're definitely getting We're definitely getting there. We've got like a few other things we wanted to cover, but don't you worry. Yeah, okay. no, iCrew is a huge part of this. <laughs> yeah. the, the most inspiring thing about this, and, and we'll, we'll get to it, I promise, is that, um, that y'all have taken rowing and made it like these, it has had these incredible outshoots from it. So 2020 has been a huge year, okay. right? Mm -hmm. You can characterize it however you like. Dumpster fire. <laughs> What's been going on for you guys for COVID? How's this year been going? Uh, so uh, <laughs> it's been interesting. We've actually been doing okay. Um, we got called, you know, the boathouse closed early March. And about the same time, uh, my work environment said, okay, yep, we're all working from home. Same thing with a lot of folks. Uh, we have not rowed other than a double about a month ago. Um, our coaches have some boats locally that we can take out, but we, that's the only time we've really been out on the water. Uh, in terms of just surviving the pandemic, we are doing pretty well. Um, you know, we've got good home office situations. Uh, we get along really well, so being in the same house all day <laughs> is fine. I think, you know, certainly miss um, hugging my kids, and they come over for visits, but we're like, out in the backyard and standing far away and it's just very very awkward so it is getting old like most people will probably say but i think we've been do doing pretty well so far mm -hmm. I, I totally agree i think one of the things i'm trying to get uh my friends and family to uh see or consider is what ha how has COVID changed your life in a positive way how have uh, you been doing things differently that you're happy you have? There are a couple of things that I, I know we've done. The first, oh my God, has to do with grocery delivery, baby. Oh my God, we've leaned into that. So that, um, I think we've really sort of invested in a home gym in our garage, basically has been converted to that. Um, so there's been a big commitment to that. I think in terms of uh, not spending as much money, that's a big thing. And then finally, having even more uh, real attention and control around your diet, what you're eating. Because here's the thing. This is a stressful period, and this is going to manifest in some way. And it's either going to be a positive manifestation of how you deal with it or negative. And drugs, alcohol, and food are the three things you really need to pay attention to. So I think we've done a good job of um, managing that and discovering or rediscovering stovetop popcorn. Baby, <laughs> you should do it with walnut oil. <laughs> Wonderful. And yeah. good popcorn. Yeah. Oh, or man. Orville Redenbacher. You got to pick the good popcorn. I have Orville Redenbacher. Don't get any other brand. Well, if, if we have a, if we have your permission, uh, we'd like to put in the show notes the photo of your gym that you just posted the other oh, day. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I Absolutely. did post that. Hash, yeah. Hashtag goals in terms of. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Jason, what about you and uh, Black Lives Matter? Has that affected you um, this year? How? Well, it's funny. It's affected me my whole life. Well, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I think this, I, I am uh, really encouraged uh, that there's been a focus on that. I mean, quite frankly, that white people have been on board because that wasn't always the case in large numbers. Um, so that's always encouraging. Um, obviously, what kicked it off and what's a continued problem, uh, you know, is the uh, my, the black community, my community, uh, the loss of trust and trying to get some white people to understand that that's the ultimate, the ultimate thing. And that is that for a large swath of our population, people of color, they have lost trust in law enforcement. And what are we gonna do about that? And that's what Black Lives Matter is all about. And so, yeah, absolutely, that's been something that uh, has been on the forefront of my mind. It has led for me to do a lot of diversity and inclusion work at work, which was not always the case. I mean, you know, corporate America seems to be a little bit more open to wanting to invest in it in ways they hadn't before. Um, I think in terms of rowing, there aren't very many people of color out in rowing, so it's troubling that we can't row. That's always been something that we've been trying to encourage. Um, but what I'm hopeful is that as we come out of COVID and we do get back to rowing, that you will start to see people of color participating in ways they hadn't before. Um, you start to see, you know, white rowers who aren't used to seeing people of color being a little bit more sensitive to the fact that, yes, there are people that, you know, come from different backgrounds that you may not uh, have experience with. But, you know, as a result of all the stuff that's going on, now you're much more open to uh, being able to have those type of discussions. Have you been a part of some of those sorts of discussions with people within your own rowing community there in Seattle at Mount Baker? Yeah, you know, I have, but here's the thing. Um, the thing that's hard about talking about uh, a boathouse becoming more racially diverse is to talk, to be a person of color talking to white people about how they have got to be prepared for the diversity to come. Because if they're not, it sounds good, but suddenly you start getting, oh, well, you know, folks are kind of loud. I kind of don't like this music. You know, maybe I can find a different boathouse. I mean, no one will ever just come out and say it. When the reality is, they live in homogeny. And now suddenly, it feels like such a huge shift that they're just not prepared for. And so, but those are also the most uncomfortable discussions because I'll tell you, Dr. Robin D'Angelo talks about this in her book, White Fragility, and that is sometimes the hardest people to talk to are white liberals because they think they're so woke. And you're like, oh my God, no, you ain't there yet, right? We got some work to do. It's true. I mean, I will tell you, I thought I was. I thought I was woke. <laughs> I, thought, I thought for years that I was doing all the right things. And this year has taught me there's more to do. Yeah, 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 it's definitely, um, it, it's, it's more complicated, it's much more, uh, I think, pervasive and rooted in our DNA. Um, at, at, when I give talks at work, I always talk about how uh, white, white folks' definition of racism is typically anecdotal and cartoonish in its overt nature. And people of color and their definition of what it is, is, uh, you know, far more pervasive and far more of the social structure that we live in. So trying to get a lot of white people to understand that, look, uh, we all are affected at, uh, and all have internalized racism. There's no getting around it. It was here. It is our social construct. It was here before we got here. It'll be here when we're gone. The question is, what, how did you contribute to it? Or how did you contribute to maintaining it or dismantling it? That, that's the question. Uh, and so rowing is just a, a microcosm of society. Kevin, how's, uh, how's it been for you? Uh, you know, it's, it's been, you know, it's a pretty tough year with all the different incidents. I happened to be listening to a podcast this morning, um, The Daily, uh, which I start every morning listening. And it was a special episode about George Floyd. And it was just heartbreaking to hear that story um, from the perspective of them going back to, um, they were talking to his aunt and it talked about the history of his family, going back to, you know, great, great grandfather who was a slave. It just built up and then into his high school years and he played football and basketball. And it really got very personal about this man that we all watched get killed by police officers. And I think the, it, it was such a good episode just to, um, 
get personal about this person that we lost and make you understand um, really what we lost and what we witnessed as a country. It was um, very touching. And I think everybody really ought to listen to that podcast episode. Um, but it's it's been a crazy many, many months, and I hope it's coming to an end soon. Not all of it, but a good chunk of what we've been experiencing. We can make a change here in November. And I, gosh, it, it really needs to happen. Yeah, for sure. I think you're, we're, we're all on the same page about a change is coming, the tsunami is coming, and, and, and hopefully people can be steadfast, you know. And, and we voted, we, the day we got our ballots, listen, the mail came at three, it was at the Dropbox at seven. <laughs> got mine. Steady State Network is a media group bringing together real-life rower experiences through podcast conversations, website musings, and a curated quarterly magazine. Join us as a patron, writer, artist, podcast guest, and fan. It's rowing for the rest of us. Hey, um, yeah. so sort of riffing off what you're talking about, um, just that moment of self-reflection, right? So we have these moments of self-reflection, and I'm wondering for both of you, one thing that really inspires uh, Rachel and I about rowing is not only those like team moments and the community moments, but those quiet moments when you're just in the boat. And for us, uh, when we were rowing on Lake Washington, just absolutely gorgeous with the wildlife and the herons and the eagles and the, and the thing. What's going through your mind when you're sitting there in that quiet space and no one's talking and you're just sort of taking it all in? Like, what's some of the things that, that have gone through your mind in those moments? Um, no surprise. I usually end up saying something. And that is, wow, we live in a beautiful place um, and that we should never take for granted. I say that so much that, you know, at first I think I was annoying folks, but no, I think they get it that people vacation here. Like, this, people get Airbnbs and come here to see this. Um, and yeah, for me, I, I just, you know, what else I think about? I, I think about um, indigenous people and how uh, we are uh, in the ancestral lands of the Duwamish people. They were the original people of the Seattle area and they've been here since the ice age and what it must've been like uh, when this really was their land. Um, and how much they valued it. And when you look up and see an eagle, um, just as common as you'd see any other bird, what that must have been like. Um, I think about, um, you know, how folks couldn't, not everyone could be on the lake at the same time, right? Uh, how many people sort of marched and were beat and went through all they went through, uh, hoping for a day where someone like me could actually appreciate this, and I never know what their name is, and they would never know what my name is, but they believed in something so strongly that they were willing to do that so that we could all sort of really appreciate it. So it's just a myriad of things depending on the morning. Um, and then I'll end with this because, oh my God, when Mount Rainier is out, every time, I have been in Seattle 19 years, and every single time, you see that crystal clear day with Mount Rainier and all of her glory up there. It is just magical. Um, so anyway, that, that's what's going through my head. For those of you, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, thank you for painting that picture because I have not been to Seattle. And I also rode, I've rode for almost 20 years exclusively mm -hmm. here in Washington, DC mm -hmm. and where I row is in an area of town that's kind of like separate from downtown. It does make you feel like you're away from the city, mm -hmm. but we don't have Mount Rainier. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we, have, we, we have some herons and once in a while there's like a badger or something yeah. that everybody gets yeah. excited about. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds just glorious where you are. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, for Kevin, when you're sitting in a boat, um, maybe you're thinking about some of those same things, but like, what has brought you to the water to sit in that seat in that boat that morning? What is your motivation? Yeah, so um, I would say the the camaraderie, which I've referred to before, and preparing for competition, I think is my main driver. 
Uh, I have to often, and, and I thank Jason for telling people in the boat, you know, that we do live in a beautiful place. It's too easy for people to just take things for granted. And I'll find myself doing that. You know, I've been up in the Seattle area for more than 30 some years, but I was living many years east of Seattle out kind of in the country where there was no lakes, there was no rowing. Um, I, I very much appreciate where we're at in the sit in this beautiful city being right near the water. Um, when we're out on the water, I, I, I try often to stop and think about how beautiful it is. And there's Mount Rainier. We're also lucky enough on some clear days to see Mount Baker to the north of us. So two amazing mountains and this amazing, beautiful body of water. Um, it, it's just something that you just have to stop and reflect and be thankful for that we even have the opportunity to live in a beautiful city, to be on the water with really great people. Um, and, uh, you know, I just try to stop and enjoy every moment. Yeah, and uh, taking uh, advantage of seeing the sunrise. You know, oh, yeah. Well, well, I was also going to say that, um, yeah, I mean, we have this splendor in Seattle, but really anywhere you are, you have your own unique beauty. And, you know, to me, I don't really necessarily try to compare Seattle to any place because every place has its own individual sort of splendor. And when you can really appreciate it by rowing because you are in a unique situation, you're in this boat, you're out in this peaceful, peaceful place. And, and being early in the morning, again, everything is so still. So I try for non-rowers, particularly non-rowers that live in areas where they have a real winter and where it snows. I try to get them to sort of think about having that stillness you have when it's snowing, only it's not super cold. Like it's really nice out and you're on this beautiful, calm water. And I just try to paint that picture because, you know, when we go to other places to roll, it's stunning as well. Like you're never out there going, oh, we're just here. It's never like that. It's always um, something to be appreciated and valued. I think you're right. There's always something to find. You know, I didn't mean to like poo-poo rowing here in Washington, <laughs> D.C. You know? I mean, obviously, I've loved it for all these years. Right. And we're literally going up and down the same, you know, 6K stretch of water. And don't you and have cherry blossoms? There's a cherry, there are cherry yeah. blossoms. There aren't a lot of them to see along our stretch of the river, okay. but for we, we are right by um, the Washington Navy Yard and uh, way back in the day in the 1800s, it was the largest munitions manufacturer in the country. And that's long gone. It's been totally gentrified, but for years and years and years, there's this um, a naval ship called the USS Barry that was docked. And we went by that thing every morning and the sun behind it hit it just right. And there was something pretty spectacular about it. And I don't know, several years ago, the Navy basically said, we don't need this thing anymore. They chopped it up and got rid of it. And we were all like, oh my God, this is awful. You know, I <laughs> can't see this thing anymore. It had been our motivator. We'd say, you know, warm up and meet by the berry. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. the berry was gone. And it totally changed that little stretch of the river. Um, so yeah, there's always something to find that really is um, gorgeous to look at. I wanted to, to follow up on something Jason said. One thing that I felt really passionately about this year is a project I'm calling Know Where You Row. Um, but what I wanted people to do is to research the body of water on which they row and the boathouse land on which, uh, you know, the land on which their boathouse sits. And we started this hashtag, Know Where You Row. And it took, it got a little uh, traction a couple weeks ago during on Indigenous Peoples Day there. And there's actually a great website, and we'll put this in the show notes too. Uh, called native-land.ca and you can put in and it actually has a text component too you can put in any city any place in the country it's based in canada so canada too and it will tell you the tribes that are associated with that area and you can dig in as deep as you want to go one we got to get to icrew so we want to make sure we don't keep you too long so what i love about icrew is that it's a product that was created out of complete like frustration with a particular system. Rachel, Rachel's going to cue it up, but I just, I love that this came out of just, just complete like disrepair. So Rachel, cue it up for us. So 
lots of rowers, coaches, and coxswains have seen some sort of convoluted system, right, of taking attendance and equipment tracking that involves the super high-tech solution of magnets and dry erase boards, right, and the, the um, dry erase markers usually have smudged and nobody could read the notes. So, Kevin, you saw a system like this and decided, like, something has to be done. What did you start thinking about and how did this lead to developing iCrew? Yeah, well, thanks for that intro. Um, so when we were doing our learn to row with Coach T, things were pretty simple. There were anywhere from, I think we started with like 24 people in the class and maybe ended with about 16 or 20. Anyway, she had a magnet board. It was pretty easy. You come in and find your magnet and you move it into place to let her know we were there. Um, and she would do lineups for, uh, you know, a couple eights and we'd get on the water. No problem. Great. Uh, but that first day we went to the master's rowing, we, we graduated, we had to um, go to our magnet board, find our magnet, flip it from upside down to right side up and coaches there trying to make lineups. And um, I guess that was okay still, but then we had to go get in line behind this clipboard where on the clipboard, our name was listed down the left and then days of the month going across. We had to find our name and write in on that day. So you had to find the right row and the right column and write in how many times we had last coxed a boat because we rotate masters through the coxswain seat. And I thought, oh my God, I am waiting in line for five minutes to get up to this board and people are like, where are my glasses? Where's my name? It's crazy. So that was the inspiration um, to build iCrew, that first thing was tracking when you last coxed a boat. But in addition to that, just knowing who was going to show up at the boathouse on any given day so we could get on the water quicker. Because coach was, we were taking 20 minutes to figure out who's there and what lineups can we put out and get on the water. 20 minutes of, okay, sure, we got on the erg and warmed up. But those two components, like who's going to be here on any given day and tracking the last coxing count was just the start of what I thought iCrew could could do for a club. It was more than 85 clubs and over 6,500 members around the globe. We've worked for years off of an Excel spreadsheet system. So yeah. at least it gets things prepared at least the night before. Right. The coaches can get in there, see who's supposed to be there, see who has coxed. But it sounds like iCrew is a really great solution. Yeah, I'm it's it's worked out pretty well. Um, both. Boulder Community Rowing, I think, was the second club to find it after I built it mostly around requirements that I saw at Mount Baker. And then Bainbridge Island Rowing, which is right across the water here from Seattle, they were the third club. And um, since then, it, it's taken off pretty well. This, this year has been pretty crazy with COVID and trying to get people back on the water uh, in singles and a very managed and um, they're getting on the water faster. We've turned around at Baker from... Uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes to literally some days less than five. So our master's coach, he said, you indicate whether you're going to be a practice or not by eight o'clock the night before. So I am talking our master's group in the morning and he's doing lineups at 8.05 and he puts them all together and, and makes them public so we can see the boat lineup. And in the morning we all check in and he makes sure the people that said they were going to be there are actually there. Occasionally you get a no show, but he's quick to like make some changes. So of course, before the pandemic, we were getting to the boathouse and literally no time to warm up. We were getting on the water so fast and that's more time on the water. And for the competitive folks, that's goodness. Any and more time on the water is always good. And from a coach's perspective, I mean, what a relief. Okay. Here's a, here's a scenario. You're a master's coach. Cause I used to coach a master's midday program. And you're up there making lineups and you've got someone standing right over your shoulder like, uh-uh, nope. I've had people stand behind me and go, I don't want to row near her. Oh my gosh. I don't want to row next to her. Or please don't make me cox. You know, just like, for me. So that's why I would like turn the board around so I had my back to the wall, you know, so they weren't. So giving coaches privacy when yeah. making lineups, like let them have a glass of wine in their hand for God's sakes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really a gift to a coach to be able to give them time and breathing room and nobody's like over your shoulder, you know, no, 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 
Yeah. Yeah. Or, or tapping their feet being like, what is taking so long? Let's just get in a boat already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I do tell some clubs when they're just getting onboarded, there's a ton of features in iCrew now compared to where it's starting and it's now what it um, offers today. And I tell them, take it slow. Don't try to use every feature right off, like focus on attendance and, and lineups and that sort of thing. Um, But going back to getting, getting Baker on board, I do remember uh, coach Audrey, she was our great master's coach when we first moved up. She was kind of the key person I had to work with to get uh, get her comfortable with the system. And I do remember after practice one day, we were trying to get it going and it just wasn't going yet. And I just sat down with her. I said, coach, like, what is, what is missing? What do we need to do to get, get uh, onto iCrew? And we had about a 30 minute discussion and I made a few changes and um, I think within the week we were fully onboarded and we told everybody, you must now toggle in on iCrew, uh, get it on your system, let's get on board. And from there it went great. But yeah, you have to take the time to really understand what's holding people back. When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber, you're supporting a new narrative in rowing and a couple of your fellow rower entrepreneurs make it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access. So join today at SteadyStateNetwork.com, on Instagram and Facebook at SteadyStateNetwork, and on Twitter at SteadyStateRow. We're going to do the end of our show. We always do what we call rapid fire. All right. Okay. (laughs) You ready? Yep. Port or starboard? Port. Starboard. Did that come naturally? <laughs> well, I actually am a Swiss Army knife. I'm just happy to be in the boat. Um, but if I had to be one, it'd be starboard. Okay, and this is going to sound braggadocious, but it's Coach T's fault a little <laughs> bit. Um, I was finding myself in the stroke seat a lot. So that's port. And I just like, I'm port, and now you're going to throw me over here. So in <laughs> iCrew, you can specify your your preference and I've been I've been port preference for a while now all right bow seat or stroke seat stroke (laughs) yeah bow I guess I mean you know you've stroked you you've you've done a great job stroke seat in regionals I'm rarely ever in a stroke seat and I like to think I have some rhythm I'm almost halfway offended (laughs) (laughs) but you're also a great bow too Oh, you're sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, salt water or fresh water? Oh, fresh, please. Fresh, yeah. Okay. Uh, head race or sprint race? Ooh. Ooh. Wow. I got to say head race because we, yeah, we've been to Charles. the Charles twice, yeah. and that is twice? Yeah. Three times, I think. Three times? Yeah. Again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but that's, ahead, that's pretty I'll spectacular. Go I'll go ahead, Rich, just because um, in the sprint, you know, if you screw up, it's just, it's not long enough to really, like, make up the way you can in a head race. Um, yeah. Plus, my favorite season is fall right now. So, there you have it. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with head race. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, favorite coxswain command to receive or give? Uh, up to. I like uh, power. I like the power ten, power twenty. That kind of power calls just to get people focused and make a move. Um, right. To to give. Head in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I stole a friend. I know, Jason. That was going to be Jason's. You know it, guys. I like coxing just because I like to talk. Is that bad? Give that oh. man a microphone, man. He is. Oh my God! I like it. to give commands uh, through hip hop songs and all kinds of stuff, like creativity. Not in a race, but in practice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's really key. I mean, if you don't like talking and you're not confident speaking to a group, coxing may not be the best thing for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. But one thing I I've, I talk to newer rowers and newer coxswains about is like finding your voice. You've got to create some sort of personality and not everybody's the same as a coxswain. Um, you know, when I first 
learned about coxing, everyone was saying, you've got to be assertive, you've got to be yelling, you've got to, you know, and that's not my vibe. I'm pretty like mellow most of the time. And so as a coxswain, I'm kind of zen, which not everybody loves. And I've got to find times where I can up my energy. Um, but there are, oh, talking about talking, I got to a point as a coxswain where I got tired of hearing myself talk. Jason, has that ever happened to you? No. <laughs> Please. Never. Seriously, like I, I really enjoy coxing because I'm talking to folks. That is, I mean, now, you know, I, I, I try not to be annoying and I, I pick my spots. But I do think that it is important, particularly during head race season, when you have these long pieces that you're doing to keep folks engaged, make it fun, maybe perhaps take their mind off of fatigue. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I am with it. So I don't know that I have a favorite thing to say. I do like receiving commands. So when I'm, uh, I do like an assertive coxswain. I do, uh, I enjoy power 20s, anything to keep my head in the boat and in it, I really, really enjoy Okay, next question. Uh, Unisuit or two-piece? Unisuit, please. We, we, but we don't even own one, although I think we ordered them. We tried. Didn't we get some? I think we ordered one and we just haven't received them yet. Okay, but the rest so, of the team didn't want to. Remember well, that? Well, I mean, you know, unis are going to expose a little more, so we just got some teammates that don't want to go there. I, I feel like you're not real until you have a uni. Like there's something about it that you just like you you're all the way in at that point. You know what I mean? You are. To me, you are you part of the team. Yeah, when you have a two piece, it's like it's like a makeshift type thing. You know, people aren't matching. We have a teammate that loves to just wear whatever colors, and you know, oh. no, hey, and listen i understand what you're saying kevin not everyone is in a place where they feel comfortable in a uni but that's that's a part of it right that means we got work and commitment to do so that we feel better in our uni absolutely because <laughs> listen <laughs> if you don't feel good in that uni then uh, think about what you're bringing to the boat how about that <laughs> it can, it can <laughs> affect your it can affect your um your feeling that day. Um, I will say that I'm a strong uh, proponent of saying, you know, of self-love and no matter how you're built, yeah, you put on that uni and you know what, once you're in the boat, like who the hell is seeing right. you? Right. Who is looking? Absolutely. Just <laughs> come I'm going to be like walking around yeah. like in a uni just because, yeah. of course I'm going to put stuff on over it, but when I'm racing, the uni. Y'all need to see Jason in a uni because it's, <laughs> it's something. <laughs> So good. You got to feel mighty in the uni for sure. Yes. It's a commitment. Especially when you're competing with people in unis. Like you just don't, it's just weird. Like you're like, oh, they're real, really a team. You know what I mean? It, it, it just, yeah. 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 Um, final question is coffee before or after a row? You better say after, because we know you have to use the bathroom. Well, I, I start every morning with coffee, but I did learn for rowing in the early morning, I learned that I had to limit myself to about three quarters of a cup, because there were times, you know, when you're coming back from the dock and you really need to get back on that dock. Right. Oh, where'd Kevin go? Where'd Kevin go? Yeah. Oh, I'm running back from the restroom. Sorry, guys. No. <laughs> no. I, I love coffee. So yes. three quarters of a cup before rowing. Okay. I either one. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I, I can go before or after. It doesn't matter. But for the purpose of the question, I'll say before. Okay. So listeners, what about you? Coffee before or after? Tell us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hashtag coffee crew. Okay, Kevin and Jason, that's it. You're done. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it was fun. Thanks for having us. Oh, this is great meeting you. Yeah. It's time to check it down and finish up this episode like we always do. Each week, listeners share the best rowing-related things that happened to them. Let's hear from a few folks. Hi, uh, my name is Claudia Lober. I row with Station L Rowing Club in Portland, Oregon. And the best part of my rowing week is um, 
a Sunday morning row that I do every week um, with a couple of friends. Um, and we all go get coffee together afterwards. And it's a great way to uh, end the weekend and also uh, has, there's a lot of good vibes for us to go start the week. So that's the best part of my rowing week. Thanks. My name is Sarah Kaplan. I row at Willamette Rowing Club in Portland, Oregon. And the best part of my rowing week was uh, for sure my first 5K bridge to bridge piece in a single. Dry. So that was awesome. Thanks, COVID. Take care. Bye. My name is Will Ruth, and I'm the author of the RowingStronger.com website. Uh, the best part of my rowing week is just hearing about little wins from all kinds of rowers and coaches. I'm just happy hearing from people who are figuring out how to stay safe and make the most of this time, whether that's mastering a new bodyweight exercise at home, enjoying getting out of the water and making progress on an erg, or getting consistent with an exercise schedule. Keep up the small victories. Hi, this is Pearl Outlaw with Rivanna Rowing Club, and the best part of my week was getting to lead our freshmen, women, and our novices through a virtual lifting session over Zoom. It wasn't on the water, but it was great to connect with them. Thanks. Hi, this is Mary Whipple from The Ninth Seat, and the best part of my rowing week was that I got to reconnect with my high school rowing team, specifically the Coxins, and I got to hop on a Zoom call for their Monday Coxin meeting, and we got to talk some shop. So uh, we talked about technique, how to develop your technical eye using Coxin POV from YouTube, and they had great questions. So it just filled my cup that I could give back to my beginnings. Uh, I hope you had a great rowing week. Bye. Don't forget, you can add your voice to this segment. Just record your own voice on your phone to share the best part of your rowing week. Send the audio to us anytime at bestpart at steadystatenetwork.com. A big thanks this week to our patrons who support Steady State Network. For today's show notes, to see one of Jason's videos, pictures of Kevin and Jason in action, and links from this episode, visit steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast. In two, let it run. <laughs>